Welcome, market participants. Another three things in credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. This week, we got to hear testimony from Fed Chair Jay Powell, including questioning from one House member about what the Fed Chair thought of the Dead & Company concert. You know, the successor band of the Grateful Dead, where a video of his attendance went viral. I guess some thought there really wasn't anything on the dual mandate worth probing. That's your tax dollars at work. All right, this week our three things are, one, exuberance. Is it rational or irrational? Two, freight recession. It's real, and we're not out of it yet. And three, credit contraction. It's happening, and it leaves a mark. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. Exuberance, rational or irrational? Markets have gotten pretty comfortable with risk, judging by asset valuation metrics. The S&P 500 is up 14% year-to-date, NASDAQ a whopping 30%. The forward multiple in the S&P has crossed 20 times, well above its 20-year average of 17 times. The VIX, Wall Street's fear gauge, has plummeted to 13, well below its long-term average of 19. CNN's Fear and Greed Index has ripped into extreme greed territory. High-yield spreads at 417 basis points continue to settle materially below its long-term average. And the St. Louis Fed's Financial Stress Index has returned to its long-term structural low from the spike it reached in March on the back of U.S. bank failures. Are markets crazy? Is this another bout of Greenspan's irrational exuberance? Well, there are extenuating circumstances around each of these markers. Yes, stocks are up, but that's the influence of two things. One, the AI play, where a few names have driven the broader market. And two, investors reverting back to their familiar playbook, big tech as market leaders. The equal-weighted S&P 500, on the other hand, is up just 4%. Supporting equities are good enough earnings, underpinned by expectations for a softish landing, still low interest rates, and the aforementioned shiny new thing of AI. Spreads have also benefited from these things, which are constructive in forming an outlook of relatively low defaults. Spreads have also benefited from relatively low levels of issuance, which have been muted due to reduced M&A volume, lower growth expectations, and the insurgence of private credit, which has provided an attractive alternative to public markets as a source of financing to issuers. And finally, financial stability has returned as market participants have grown more comfortable that the March-April bank failures were indeed limited to highly idiosyncratic situations. Add it all up and you get a stable fundamental backdrop, though I'm not sure a particularly bulled up one. And remember, stocks typically rise during Fed hiking cycles, so much of this is going by the playbook. And so, given that, it should come as no surprise the Fed continues to signal that its war against inflation is not over. This, of course, bears watching closely because we believe the Fed is incentivized in this cycle to overshoot. The Fed continues to tighten even though consumers continue to run through excess savings and student loan payments are scheduled to resume in the fall. PMIs for both manufacturing and services are in or about to hit contraction territory. Consumer and small business sentiment is poor. China's growth engine is sputtering. This feels like overshooting. As for what this means for spreads, we think investment grade should hold in or around current levels into year-end as its risk-reward equation 
squares up well with investors' still defensive orientation. However, high yield, notwithstanding the positive technical that comes from private credit siphoning off meaningful supply, looks increasingly out of step with weak PMIs, elevated treasury market volatility, and a deeply inverted yield curve. Moreover, as we wrote about in our Higher for Longer piece a few weeks ago, higher cost of capital should eventually weaken weaker parts of high yield. All right, on to our second thing, freight recession. We probably didn't need to see FedEx's earnings miss this week to know that we are in a freight recession. But it is worth noting that FedEx reported its fourth consecutive quarterly decline in revenues, citing a weakening demand picture and outlook. While FedEx has its own firm-specific challenges in right-sizing and improving efficiency in its own business, its performance and comments around soft demand clearly speak to economic slowdown. That slowdown is also evident in the performance of J.B. Hunt, the diversified shipper, that commented recently that it is not ready to call the recovery just yet. We don't know if the freight recession is going to end this month, or in three months, or in six months. That comes from Hunt's president, Shelley Simpson, at a conference this month. The Cast Freight Index, which measures North American freight volumes and expenditures, described in its most recent report that we are, quote, closer to the bottom, unquote, noting that freight markets continue to work through a down cycle which featured its first year-on-year decline 17 months ago. Truck tonnage remains in recession territory. That comes from the American Trucking Associations. Tonnage continues to contract from year-earlier levels as retail sales remain soft, manufacturing production continues to fall from a year ago, and housing activity remains depressed. All of this is consistent with the boom-bust cycle of goods through the pandemic period and the weak manufacturing outlook that we see in the ISM and regional manufacturing surveys. The good news is that volumes and pricing have not fallen off a cliff, and shipping company managements have been able to address cost structures along the well-telegraphed way to mute the impact. But it's also a reminder that there are significant economic headwinds still out there. All right, on to our third thing, credit conditions. We saw former Fed Governor Betsy Duke opine this week that there's not a lot of evidence that bank lending has been curtailed post the March events, otherwise known as the bank failures. That's a bit of a head-scratcher. We know that banks have tightened loan underwriting standards materially across borrower types going back to the second half of 2022, according to the two most recent Fed senior loan officer surveys. We know banks are having to aggressively manage their funding base to protect against, one, deposit outflows, which is a cautionary response to the March events, and or, two, the competitive response to higher paying competition from money market mutual funds and the federal government's T-bills. And we do see contraction in commercial bank lending going back to mid-year 2022 in the Fed's weekly H8 data. Ordinarily, we don't typically see contracting loan balances in the system unless we are approaching or are in recession. And anecdotally, we hear of banks tightening the credit box on conference calls. All of this is a very natural, rational reaction to where we are in the cycle as we head into that period where the effects of 500 basis points of Fed rate hikes and the steady drip of quantitative tightening are felt. And all of this, by the way, is consistent with what the Fed is trying to accomplish, cooling demand. Now, it bears repeating that the contours of this contraction are well-known and well-telegraphed. It's not a shock, the kind of event where people recoil and hunker down. 
Bigger parts of the economy in both the consumer and commercial sectors are well positioned to power through these economic headwinds. But make no mistake about it, the cost of inflation and the policy response to bring it under control is leaving a mark on economic growth. And reduced access to cost-effective credit is a natural consequence of economic contraction. We remain skeptics of immaculate disinflation. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, exuberance. We believe risk markets have gotten ahead of themselves, especially in riskier credit. Two, great recession. It's real and we're not out of it yet. And three, credit contraction. With visibility still limited, it's a natural response. As always, thanks for joining. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our ratings reports and our latest research. See you next week. Hello, listeners. Join me, Van Hesser, KBRA's chief strategist for in-depth conversations with credit experts in my new monthly podcast, Leading Voices in Credit, where I'll interview market professionals on the latest trends in credit markets. That's Leading Voices in Credit with Van Hesser. Subscribe now.